Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk. Happy Hour Radio, sponsored by Mary Hill Winery. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, well, welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I am your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and Commodore of Cocktails. So happy that you're joining me on this Saturday night, 6 p.m. on 570 KVI. As always, I'm excited about today's show. I've got uh, two great guests. I have Chef Philip Mahalski, who is, uh, well, commander of Nell's Restaurant over on Green Lake, and uh, he's got a great culinary background. We're going to chat about Seattle Restaurant Week, which is uh, starting on Sunday, so tomorrow. Get out there and enjoy three courses and uh, for 30 bucks or so, and uh, two courses for $15 at lunch. So many great restaurants are participating. It's uh, seattlerestaurantweek.com. And then I I've got, well, uh, the lady behind, um, the winemaker behind Cambria Winery down in uh, the Santa Maria Valley, Santa Barbara. It's Cambria. Uh, Miss Denise Shirtleff, who is the winemaker. She can give a little history about the Jackson family, uh, California Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, of course, and learn about uh, the cool fog that uh, makes this region so great. Well, speaking of great opportunities in great regions. Woodenville is just up the street. <laughs> just a short little drive. Uh, Woodenville Reserve Night is coming up uh, next weekend, April 19th. We've got great chefs, red, white, and rosé wine. It's uh, it's all about food and wine and fun, so check out Woodenville Reserve Night at woodenvillewinecountry.com and uh, coming up later this month over at Salty's on Alki. It's uh, Seattle Seattle Sexy Syrah at Salty's, I should say. I've got SeattleUncorked.com hosts these great events. This is called Sexy Syrah. Should I use my sexy voice? Sexy Syrah. Well, <laughs> it is Saturday night, so I hope you're getting sexy. And if you've got some straw in your glass, uh, if you don't have any straw in your glass, check out Sexy Syrah. April 29th at Salty's at SeattleUncorked.com. But I'm excited to chat about California winemaking. It's a beautiful spring here in Seattle. The sun is out. The the vines, uh, bud break has, has blossomed and blooming. Well, they're not blooming yet, but we'll learn all about that and what's happening in California as well. So, Denise Shirtleff, welcome to Happy Hour. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so excited. So, um... You are one of the women in winemaking, and uh, that is a growing population around the world. So let's talk about your history. I understand you joined Cambria in 1999. Yes, I joined Cambria in 1999, and it's definitely gone by fast, that's for sure. But um, Cambria is a special place, and uh, our number one winemaking tool is our wonderful vineyard. We have a 1,600-acre vineyard. Uh, We grow... When you say that's a vineyard, one vineyard is 1,600 acres. Yes. Wow. It's fast. Two miles long, one mile wide. Oh, okay. So it's a beautiful spot in the Santa Maria Valley in Santa Barbara County of California. And uh, we have an awesome wine, or vineyard team that really are, they're, it's a group of meticulous farmers and uh, makes my job a lot easier. Well, your job is uh, chief winemaker. What is exactly your title at Cambria Wines? Uh, director of winemaking. Director of winemaking. I like that, the director. You can give directions then, right? Or do you give orders? Well, hopefully it's a team effort. <laughs> I know. That's a little open question. When you've answered it uh, very well. So let's talk about Santa Maria Valley and Santa Barbara. Um, 
as you mentioned earlier off off show, this is 300 miles south of San Francisco, so right uh, on the outskirts of the Los Angeles County, correct? We're about three hours north of Los Angeles, so we're almost equidistant between San oh. Francisco and Los Angeles, but a little bit closer to Los Angeles. Wow. So... Basically, the Santa Maria Valley is located in northern Santa Barbara County. And that's a famous winemaking region now for a, a movie that came out a while ago? Absolutely. Sideways. <laughs> Put so us on the map. Put you on the map. Los Olivos or is Los Olivos? A little bit of both, yeah. actually. That's what they call it. Well, um, Santa Maria Valley is uh, it's, it's a well-known valley in terms of having um, so many wine labels coming out of there. Great production. As you said, a 1,600-acre vineyard is huge. Um, of course, not so huge that you can't manage it, but it must be interesting to have... Uh, what makes that place so unique? Because when I think of Los Angeles, I think about the heat. The Santa Maria Valley is a transverse valley, which means that geographically it flows from east to west, and the western part of our valley opens directly onto the Pacific Ocean. And it's the only growing region in California that is unobstructed from the ocean. If you look at Napa, Sonoma Valleys, all the other growing regions, there's a mountain range between the valley and the ocean. And every day, right around noon, the wind starts blowing off of the, uh, the ocean up through our valley. and Many times it's described as this nice maritime breeze, but it's actually a hard wind. <laughs> and so even if it starts to warm up in the morning, once that wind starts to, to blow, it really cools our climate down. So normally our warmest time of the day is around 12.30 p.m. Interesting. So um, if we know some of our, uh, well, what, what is uh, climatology? We've got uh, cold air is heavy and warm air is is lighter, so that's why balloons rise. Hot air balloon goes up because it's hot air. So that cool air from the ocean comes in and displaces the warm air and keeps the vineyards cool. And so you get actually, um, how many hours of sunlight do you get? Well, depending on the time of the year, right now we have sunshine all <laughs> during daylight. Um, right around the middle to end of May, we'll start having fog coming into our valley. Once the inland valleys of California heat up, then the fog starts being pulled into they draw our valley. In. Yeah, that hot air brings it brings it in from the ocean. Right. Very cool. Speaking with Denise Shirtleff, who is the Director of Winemaking at Cambria Winery. Uh, that's cambriawinery.com down in the Santa Maria Valley in Santa Barbara. Um, we're chatting about... Well, let's go back. We're chatting about your area in Santa Barbara and the cool fog, which uh, for, for the specific wines that you make, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, those are very delicate grapes, correct? Correct. They're very thin-skinned grapes grapes, uh, very tightly clustered, so they're susceptible to mold and mildew. And, uh, well, you know, I, I would imagine that disease pressures, as we call that in the industry, um, are probably a lot lighter with the lack of precipitation that's ha um, been happening in the area. Absolutely. Um, but we would rather deal with a little bit more moisture in yeah, our area. For sure. So um, you started in 1999. Did, tell us about some of your education and background. Were you making wine at home? Did you see a television program and say, that looks like the great lifestyle? How'd you get into it? I graduated from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo with a degree in nutrition and dietetics. 
And honestly, when I started school, I had no idea that there was even the possibility of majoring in enology or viticulture. And actually, Cal Poly at the time did not have an enology department. They do now. Um, so I love the coursework and the subject of nutrition, but I realized early on I did not want to do clinical work in a hospital, and I truly respect those people um, that do perform that work. But I was really more interested in getting into either the agricultural industry or the food industry. And uh, once I graduated from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, I didn't want to leave the city. It's a great town, and I was having too much fun. And I really did not know what I was wanting to do. And lo and behold, um, I interviewed for a lab technician's job in San Luis Obispo for a new winery and uh, really fell into the position and just kind of progressed from there. Learned on the job. So learned on the job. But you had some biochemistry uh, background or able to analyze, uh, you know, different, I don't know, what do you do in a, in a lab? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the major I had involved different chemistries, microbiology, zoology, different food chemistries. So um, I was prepared for the lab position. So you could be an Alton Brown then, right? Talk about the oils and the heat transfer and the mo molecules and things like that. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a fun guy. Well, interesting, you talk about diet, dietitian, and um, that just made me think, when are we going to have uh, vi vitamins in wine? Uh, good question. I Maybe mean, can you should... see that on the shelf? Quick, it's just the new, you know, it's the new happy hour. Revitalize your body with uh, uh, anthocyanins and uh, resveratrol plus a little B12. Exactly. <laughs> well, um, it doesn't matter because Cambria wines do taste good, and I know that we're going to try uh, three wines here, and you specialize in Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Is that all Cambria produces? No, we actually produce Viognier, Syrah, and Pinot Gris in smaller amounts, and we do produce Chardonnay and, and Pinot Noir. Uh, but we just have smaller plantings of those three varieties. Yeah, I haven't seen those here in the marketplace, but Cambria is well represented. It's, uh, it's a large production, and let's just talk about the production of Cambria. How many cases of wine are you producing there? We produce for our brand, the Cambria brand, approximately 150,000 cases. And that includes everything? Yes. And so the, the Syrah, Pinot Gris, and Viognier, are those mostly on-premise, or should I say, uh, uh, tasting room uh, brands, or do you actually have those out in the marketplace as well? Actually, the Viognier and Syrah are out in the marketplace. Uh, let's talk about some price points for CambriaWinery.com. You've got, uh, so you, you make about 12 wines, 10 wines or so? Uh, yeah, it, it depends on the market. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say more like six. Okay, six for so each market would have about six Cambria wines, yeah. and that's basically the Chardonnay and the Pinot Noir, right? Different Correct. levels. But we do produce more wines that are sold through our tasting room and direct sales through the winery. Yeah, that's fun. Do you get a lot of customers or a lot of visitors down there? We do. It's amazing. And uh, they're not only local customers, but people who are traveling through California uh, from out of state or actually from other parts of the world. Well, let's talk about a little history. Step back again. And, and who planted Santa Maria? St. Marie um, is named, I, I take, take it that's from a, a Latino background or from the, the migrants coming up and just having some of the, the region there. Because um, how did Santa Maria Valley get named and uh, who were the first people to plant uh, this particular area? Santa Maria 
was named by uh, the Spaniards who came into the area and uh, uh, set up the Spanish land grants. And uh, the first grapes in our area were planted in, 19, in the late 1960s. Um, our vineyard, the Cambria Vineyard, was planted in 1970 um, under the name of Tepesque Vineyard. And uh, when our current owners, our family, the Jackson family, purchased the vineyard in 1986, they changed the name from Tepesque to Cambria. Interesting. Well, uh, the Jackson family, Jess Jackson, who could be, you know, after uh, Robert Mondavi, perhaps one of the godfathers of California wine and, and perhaps uh, American wine in general. He's done a great job, um, uh, well, pr- promoting the ubiquitous Chardonnay to uh, higher le- levels of, of uh, exposure and, and um, penetration across all restaurant wine lists. Yes, and that was his second job. He, uh, it was actually winemaking and grape growing was a hobby that he was going to be doing when he retired and uh, uh, retired from his law firm. Which is interesting because knowing being in the business, you can't retire in this business because there's just so much work and so much worry over the vintage and selling grapes and making wine. And it's always, you're on the go. Here you are in Seattle. We're, we're traveling. If we're not traveling, we're making wine. If we're not making wine, we're racking barrels. We're doing bottling. We're doing blending and all that stuff. So it, uh, that's ironic that he thought, it, you know, this, these dreams about retirement um, are become the, the, truly the second career. Yeah, he was a man of tremendous energy, and uh, he he went into it full force. Uh, so fun. Speaking with Denise Shirtleff, who is the Director of Winemaking at Cambria Winery. And uh, when we come back from this break, we're going to uh, chat about, uh, well, we're actually going to taste some of these great wines. What wines do you have for us to taste? We have our Catherine's Vineyard Chardonnay, our Julia's Vineyard Pinot Noir, and then our Clone 4, Pomard Clone 4 Pinot Noir. I'm excited because those are pretty much uh, the flagship, uh, the, the, some premium brands in your portfolio. And uh, I haven't tasted those wines in a long time, so that'll be exciting. And coming up on the show, we're going to have Chef Philip Mahalski uh, chatting about Restaurant Week, which starts tomorrow. And uh, it's kind of a cool deal. I think it runs Sunday through Thursday. Um, SeattleRestaurantWeek.com gives you all the details. I mean, you can enjoy, uh, you can live large for... For a little bit of dough, but um, and then we'll figure we'll chat about that tipping concept, which has uh, been quite the topic here on Happy Hour Radio. So stick around; we'll be right back. Lars Larson has the real story. Weekdays, 6 to 9 p.m., only on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Talk Radio 570 KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now, back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. Hey, and welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Uh, so excited to have Denise Shirtleff, the Director of Winemaking for Cambria Winery here in studio. We're going to taste uh, some of our world-class Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. And coming up on the show, I've got Chef Philip Mahalski, and we're going to chat about R- Seattle Restaurant Week. Um, but, Denise, you've got uh, a pretty Chardonnay in my glass. Tell me about this wine. This wine, the Catherine's Vineyard Chardonnay, really represents the Cambria State Vineyard as a whole as far as the Chardonnay plantings go. Uh We source grapes from different areas of the vineyard that um, 
that we like the best. Um, on the western edge of the vineyard, we get a lot of strong citrus characters of ripe tangerine, pink grapefruit, orange blossoms. From the center of the vineyard of the Chardonnay plantings, we get a lot of good stone fruit characters, um, green apple, white peach. And then from the old vines planted along the edge of the mesa on the south side of the vineyard, we get the really nice tropical fruit flavors. Well, I've just had the pleasure of um, taking a sip of this Catherine's Vineyard Chardonnay. What vintage is this? This is 2013. And uh, the, and, and um, perspective, was 2013 a warmer vintage, a classic vintage, a regular vintage down there in Santa Maria? It was a little higher yielding vintage, but it wasn't hard farm, farming-wise. So um, we always talk about how you don't remember the vintages that are easy, and I don't remember a lot of problems during this vintage, so that's a good thing. That is a good thing. I mean, we like it when, um, you know, it's good fruit ripens naturally and it tastes good at the end. Uh, this Chardonnay has lots of citrus and apple, um, a touch of tropical note, uh, certainly some toasted almond and vanilla. Uh, tell me about your oak regimen on this Catherine's Vineyard Chardonnay. The wine is 100% barrel fermented in 225 liter barrels or 59 gallon barrels. And... Uh, the barrel mix consists of about 20% new oak, and then the balance of the barrels are split between one, two, and three, one, two, three, and four-year-old barrels. I have to say I'm impressed by the level of acidity here. Um, it's a little brighter than I expected for being, quote, California. Um, this is a very well-balanced wine. I think the oak and the, the tannin, the structure, um, are all harmonious, um, and the finish here is uh, just about medium, just over medium. Um, nice dry finish and uh, it makes you want to take another sip. Thank you. Yeah, that's what's great about our growing region, the Santa Maria Valley. That cool climate helps the grapes to retain acid and acid really tends to enhance the fruit characters in the wine and just make a you know, help to make a really nice balanced wine. As a sommelier, I've always uh, stated that uh, the best wines in the world have something in common and that's great acidity. Acid is our friend. <laughs> it is our friend. We're going back to the 60s. Well, we're here in the 2000s uh, speaking with Denise Shirtleff, the Director of Winemaking for Cambria. Next up, I have a red uh, wine here in my glass. Tell me about this. This is our Julia's Vineyard Pinot Noir, and this wine is uh, blended from eight clones, Pinot Noir clones that we have planted in our vineyard. Um, it, to me, this wine really exemplifies Santa Maria-style Pinot Noir. There's always a lot of upfront red fruit characters, uh, cranberry, pomegranate, cherry, raspberry. 2012 vintage, we have a little more of the dark fruit components than we normally have, so we've got a nicer balance, I think, of fruit. And... Uh, Pinot Noir from our area always has an underlying earthiness that tends to balance the fruit and just makes the wine have a little more dimension and, uh, you know, interest to it. Well, I, I am pleasantly surprised to taste this. Um, you know, when you see the brands in the grocery store, as we we do when you shop once a week, I always peruse the grocery store, and it's um, sometimes you it's easy to um, be a little cynical about seeing the brands over and over, and you go, yeah, 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 but it's great to taste these wines again because I truly think they're well balanced, and that's most important for me. Plus, they're complex, and they have, and they're just nice in the mouth. This particular Chardonnay, uh, sorry, Pinot Noir, um, is really somewhat exotic. It has this smoky character. It has the dark fruit, um, this earthy note. I believe it's more of a 
it's just over a dark olive. I'm not going to say black olive, but a dark olive and a little fall leaf. Um, just a hint of, of, of vanilla on there, but more of a, a coffee note on this. What's your oak regimen here? The wine is aged in 100% French oak, with the new oak percentage being about 23 to 24%. And... Uh, the balance of the barrels consist of one, two, and three-year-old barrels. Uh, delicious wine, and um, it seems like it's still rather youthful here. 2012 vintage is a strong vintage, and uh, it took a little while for the wines to come around. They're strong in structure, strong in flavor, and, and I believe that they have a long life ahead of them. Well, let's talk about the price point. The uh, Catherine's Vineyard 2013 Chardonnay is uh, what price point at the store? Full retail value is about $22. I love that. Full retail value. <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm, I'm working with sales this people like the this price week. price is right. Full yeah. retail value. And then the, uh, so $22 for the Chardonnay and the, um, the bench, no, this is Catherine's Vineyard Pinot Noir. Julia's Vineyard. I'm sorry, Julia's Vineyard yes. Pinot Noir, 2012. Uh, what does that run at the store? I believe it's around $25. And I could be, um, yeah, corrected on these, but I'm getting a head shake, yes. Uh, well, um, right around there. It's, this is a, a great value. I'm really surprised. It's easy to, you know, when you talk about some larger production from California, you know, we go, like, yeah, yeah, okay, they're not really trying. But this is, you know, Pinot Noir isn't easy. A lot of companies add a little Syrah and say, yep, see, it's dark fruit, and we can bulk it out, and it's all big. But this... Um, truly is a, a very classy wine. Thank you. Yeah, yeah it's 100% Pinot Noir. This is the wine that's made in the vineyard, and this is what our vineyard team spends a lot of time farming. It's the Diva grape. It needs a lot of attention. Uh, the Diva. So I like that because we talk about feminine and masculine in the wine industry, about some of our wines and terroir and expressions. Um, but Pinot Noir certainly has uh, a very feminine side. Um, you have another wine here, Clones. I understand you work with a lot of clones in your 1,600-acre vineyard, right? Yes, and this is our... Pomard Clone 4 Pinot Noir, and uh, the grapes, the Pomard Clone 4 grapes, were the original Pinot Noir plantings on the property. These are old vines uh, 19, for, that were planted in 1970, and our vineyard team has just really done a great job in maintaining these vines over the years and as the vines get older they've actually been producing better tasting wines but to me pomard clone 4 off of our vineyard produces just beautiful elegant wines kind of old world in style and um, we have newer clones planted on the vineyard that are very showy and flashy but this is the tri tried and true uh, clone that always makes the the classiest wine um, this is, when you said Pomard, and I don't know if our listeners know Pomard, Pomard Clone. So Pomard is a little commune in the uh, Burgundy region. Um, it is in the Cote de Bone, and uh, it's where they uh, grow, well, great Pinot Noir. And uh, the Pomard Clone, you know, they talk about people heading over there in the early 50s and, and taking the cuttings and, and transplanting them to California. Um, this is definitely a much more complex wine with a little more structure. And it's interesting, as I tasted it, I said, wow, this has a Burgundian essence where you get the earth and the acid and the fruit. And I'm thinking that this is what Burgundy strives for. They want that ripeness of fruit, but great structure. And yet here in California, you get great ripeness, but you want great structure as well. So it's interesting how both sides are trying to meet in the middle to find that perfect harmony. Yeah, and that's that's our goal in winemaking. And in, 
our area, our climate really makes that a little bit easier with that cool climate and good acid retention too. Uh, all right, so this is Pomard Clone 4 2012 Pinot Noir. What does this run? This runs, actually, this is an on-premise wine only, and so it's not sold in retail stores. It's sold to restaurants only, and I believe it re- or usually by the glass it's $15 when it's served. Oh, so 45 bucks uh, by the bottle on the, you know, $60 bottle at the restaurant. Well, I, I see it now. This is uh, the, your Premier Crew um, release, correct? Uh, thank you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Um, well, Denise Shirtleff, uh, you've had a great history. So you're working on your 16th year then, or 15th year at uh, Cambria? 15th, yes. Um, and you became Director of Winemaking when? I was actually hired in 1999 as the assistant winemaker and took over the head winemaking duties in 2002. Wow, and so interesting that history has allowed you already a little roller coaster um, of the economic <laughs> waves that permeate our industry and, of course, all industries. Have you uh, do, do, have you have any side projects that you're aspiring to? Do you have something that you, you play around? I mean, you know, 16 years in the biz, you get to like, well, what can we do? How can I push the envelope? Or can I? St- are you still striving for the perfect quote wine? Oh, always, and uh, it's one of those things when you're in the wine industry. The more you know, the more you don't know, and the more you need to learn to know. And uh, we have some projects coming up in, with the next vintage that we're really excited about, some um, different style of Pinot Noir and Chardonnays that we'll be introducing to the market. And so we're working on those right now. We're doing a white Pinot, like a white Zin? Uh, no, we're not. <laughs> but um, looking into more... Um, of a kind of Burgundian style of Chardonnays. So fun. Yeah. Well, uh, you'll definitely found a fan of me today. Great to taste uh, the Cambria wines, the Catherines, the Julias, and the Pomard for Clone 4. Um, Denise Shirtleff, thanks for, so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. No, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Hey, folks, stick around. We're going to have uh, a great chat with Chef Philip Mahalski of Nell's fame, I'll call it, site fame. And we're going to talk about Restaurant Week and a little bit of his culinary career when we come back from this break. So stick around. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. The home of the great one. Mark Levin. Weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m. Talk Radio 570 KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Time for another round of Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Round two, or is this round three? I'm losing track. Having a good time. Uh, thanks to my guest, Denise Shirtleff, the director of winemaking at Cambria Winery. Had a lovely Chardonnay, uh, two Pinot Noirs, the Catherine's Vineyard, and the Julia's Vineyard, and Clone Four Pomard. Um, but I know that my uh, next guest, Chef Philip Mahalski, uh, is a big Pinot Noir fan. I'm going to welcome him to the show. Chef, welcome to Happy Hour. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be here. Uh, it's great to taste those wines, too. I thought they were delicious and very food friendly and uh, their wines we've carried at the restaurant and uh, 
I, I think they're great. Yeah, well, it's fun for me to go back and actually have a chance to taste some of the, the the brands we see so often and don't really, you know, sometimes you're always reaching for the new thing, and yet now it's great to know that we can go back to something we're familiar with and be very, very satisfied and pleased, and I'm glad you like the wines, too. So it's good to see. I know the last time we uh, interacted, we were out in Woodenville doing um, a, a cool little event uh, at one of the wineries up there, and um, uh, you had a great menu. So I was really impressed. I mean, I, I've had dinner at your place or lunch at your place and um, let's talk about Nels but step back where are you from and how'd you get into cooking uh, I started cooking in my early 30s as a second career and I was in New York City at that point so I, I worked for about three years in New York City uh, that was late 80s and um, had the opportunity to go to France, worked for six months, or worked without getting paid uh, in, <laughs> in kitchens in France at, at three top restaurants. Uh, two of them were three-star, three Michelin-star restaurants. Wow. And shortly after I uh, got done with my uh, six months in France, I uh, came back to New York and decided to move to Seattle with my wife, Nell. And um, that was 1992. So uh, I've been in Seattle since... uh since 92 and had Nels since uh, 1999. So uh, 15 years heading towards 16. Wow, great years um, in the early 90s in Seattle. Seattle was really fun. We were just, you know, I mean, Starbucks was just getting big. And of course, we, you know, the just the inklings of Microsoft was still out there. But um, the food scene, we were all, we had the Pike Place Market and the, the Summers and the Bounty. Um, so you went from big New York to little New York. And um, interesting, when you mentioned the 1980s in New York, the first thing I thought of is said, wow. Um, I'm just thinking about the culture and then, of course, the lifestyle of the restaurant industry and, and how many people we know what happened in the 80s in, in New York. And it wasn't, you know, all flowers. Well, the flowers were, were being laid to rest, so to speak. So that just made me think about that when you talk about the 80s. Well, let's move back to the 2000s. And um, now I didn't know Nels was your wife. And so you named the restaurant after your wife. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's a good thing because yeah. uh, I, I know in the business it's easy to be working way too often and not having enough fun together. And so you, I guess you, you always have her in your heart at the restaurant. So um, let's talk about Nell's. Is, uh, give us the style of cuisine and exactly where it's located. We're Northwest Cuisine. We're located along Green Lake, uh, right along the uh, East Green Lake Way North. Uh, so you look out the windows and see the uh, park and the water and uh, all the activity over there. Uh, I took over the restaurant uh, in 99 from uh, Sally. It was Sally Alago. And uh, Sally was there for 17 years, and there's still people who remember the restaurant and have very fond memories of uh, of Sally. And Sally is still around and helps me with accounting and is uh, healthy and well. Oh, and great. Um, so, yeah, it's been uh, been a great uh, a great 15 uh, plus years and uh, uh, Northwest cuisine. So we really feature Northwest seasonal ingredients, um, the bounty of this region, both fish and vegetables and berries and and wines. Uh, so all of those things are, are well represented on our menu. Um, there's my background, uh, having spent some time in France, in France, and work at worked at French restaurants in New York. 
Um, that's the influence. That's the technique. But at the same time, it's the, the ingredients of this region, which are really the stars. I'm so glad you expanded on what Northwest cuisine was, because that was going to be my question. We've talked about, of course, there was California cuisine in the 80s, and then um, we have Northwest cuisine in the 90s, and Nouvelle cuisine at some point sort of translated that. And, and Seattle is blessed to have um, a lot of different influence. I mean, so few people are actually born in Seattle anymore. I mean, everyone, there's a lot of transplants, obviously, in New York, and we can talk about all these great chefs who've, who've actually come to this area because of our great bounty, because of our um, you know proximity to the great Alaska seafood, of course, the, the Puget Sound or um, Pacific Ocean. And then we have the, well, the, the heartland, our own heartland with uh, the asparagus and the onions and the apples and the cherries and the corn and uh, the lamb and uh, the cattle and oh, so many great things here in the Northwest. Yeah, exactly. And uh um, the restaurant scene has changed a lot since I moved here in 92, but uh, uh, when I came here in 92, one of the first things that, you know, really was was so apparent and just kind of uh, catches you is, is the bounty of ingredients. Uh, and mushrooms are another thing that I just love from this region. And, and you think about the, the variety of, um, uh, of, of, of climate uh, from the you know the west side of the mountains where you get lots of water and uh and thus mushrooms and then you move over to the columbia valley and uh there you have the orchards and 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 lots of uh vegetables growing and the wine regions of uh columbia valley and red mountain and walla walla and uh so there's just all of that difference uh provides with all these different ingredients and uh and then you move to the coast and uh and the seafood that we get is just outstanding and uh you know back in new york uh salmon was salmon but here you know people want to know how it was <laughs> caught and where it was caught and what species of salmon it is and so all of those things are important and it just it, it it speaks to how educated the the diner is and the consumer is and and that's a great thing and then you know since uh moving out here the the proliferation of a restaurants is just you know it, it's amazing how how much the the dining scene has grown up and uh you know if we were doing restaurant week uh back in 1992 we wouldn't have 165 restaurants like we have now oh my goodness. participating in uh in this promotion so. no we'd have john hinterberger's alley is what we would have and we'd be having a festival at green lake which should become part of taste uh, sorry the bite of seattle at right, some point right? right and that's true that uh did start in uh in the green lake area way back when and now it's grown so much that uh, Green Lake wouldn't hold it anymore. So <laughs> well, you could all circle the whole lake with food, and uh, that'd be quite a, a cluster um, of activity. Well, so cool. Um, you know, it made me think when you talked about mushrooms and some of our bounty. I believe that um, most of our well, first of all, restaurateurs are entrepreneurs because you have an idea, you have a passion, and you're going to go for it, which is cool. And I think that's what makes um, the restaurant industry so vibrant is that you get such passionate people. But what we find in the whole food industry and in the wine industry as well is that we have uh, a mushroom forager and that's that guy who goes out there and he spends his eight hours a day you know amassing his chanterelles or his morels or his uh, um, you know lobster porcinis, porcinis. lobster mushrooms yeah. uh, matsutakis uh, it's amazing uh, it's it's a wild forage product uh, but I, I can get wild mushrooms um, 10, 11 months of the year. There's usually a couple little gaps. But, uh, you know, during the middle of the winter, I get hedgehog mushrooms. Uh, 
Um, sometimes they're from Northern California, but uh, it, it's amazing that they're available January, February, into March. And we've uh, got people so, who are forging. So we've got right. people who are, are uh, just loving the land and, and, and harvesting the, the bounty. So that's so fun. Um, Nell's is open five days a week, six days a week? No, we're open seven days a week. Uh, we're open uh, from 5.30 until 10.00. Uh, every night of the week, um, close on a few holidays, and then we started doing brunch uh, this uh, this October. So we're now doing a Sunday, uh, Saturday and Sunday brunch, ten thirty until two. Uh, but dinner is the main part of our business, and that's what we've done for 15-plus years. Yeah, it's a it's a classy place, and um, I've really enjoyed it, and it's so good to have you on the show. How long have you participated in Restaurant Week? We've participated in it uh, from the very beginning, and I'm on the Restaurant Week board, and it, it's a great promotion. It really uh, it kind of celebrates dining in the city, 165-plus um, restaurants involved. Um, a great opportunity to go out and try a favorite restaurant at a, at a great value or try some new places that you're thinking about, uh, you know, and maybe uh, feel like you can get a sampling without uh, having to pay uh, uh, the full retail price. Well, that's right, because I think the smaller plate idea is really um, um been accepted as as part of our culinary um, you know opportunities to enjoy. It's all about small bites and and plates. And I think the three for thirty is probably a little smaller portion, which is great because I think restaurants, you know, America, we are all about bigger is better and <laughs> more is more. Um, but we'll tell you what, we're going to take a little break here. When we come back. We'll talk about some of the restaurants uh, that are involved. We'll talk about how that process works. Do they need reservations? Can they just walk in? I imagine this is a very popular promotion. So we. we um, perfect planning prevents poor <laughs> performance. Um, so stick around. We'll be uh, coming back on Happy Hour Radio. And um, if you want to uh, ask us a question about uh, our guests, about some of these wines and some of the restaurants that we, and the chefs we chat about, send us an email to ask at happyhourradio.net. And if you are out there in the Twitter sphere, uh, send us a tweet, 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 at Happy HR Radio. So stick around. We'll be right back. <laughs> 